0: Welcome back to Musings of an Extrovert. My name is Darvin Wentez. And my name is Aaron Runzo. And we have been your hosts for this series. So this series started with the episode previous to this. We are talking about hermeneutics. So a quick recap of what that is. Hermeneutics is the way by which we understand scripture correctly and accurately and so we we're talking about how that's going to help you in your studies of scripture it's going to help you think more critically and ask more questions um to seek out the lord more and it'll help you become more intimate with the scriptures like it'll it'll really help you learn more and remember more uh from the scriptures i think these questions really do help do that i'll share my testimony with it when I started asking questions like this. Man, I started realizing, holy moly, I remember that story. That story makes more mm-hmm. sense. Now I now I really like I can recall what was going on then. You know, mm-hmm. when you read through the scriptures and you're just reading to read it and you're not trying to understand, you can glaze over so many things, but then once you start realizing, holy moly, this directly ties to Jesus this directly ties to jesus Mm -hmm. you mean the guy that was walking with the three in the furnace that was potentially jesus in the old testament walking with them and wait hold on he didn't come out of the furnace with the other three and jesus died when he came here he was the only one that had to die for our sins holy moly like When you start realizing those connections, Mm -hmm. it helps you understand the scriptures more. So before we continue, please like subscribe. Wow, I can't even say the word subscribe. Please like and subscribe. Uh, Go ahead and and leave a comment and hit that bell. That way you can get notified every single time I drop an episode. Again, this is going to be a four part series. We're going to get into it. So without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into some of these questions. So Today's episode, we're going to actually talk about what are the questions that you should be asking before you start just going ahead and making an application to what you've just read. So um, what is a question that we need to ask when we're approaching the scriptures, Aaron? This first one, Mm -hmm. I think, is a very important question, Not uh, not because it particularly... Like, totally changes what the scripture might mean, yeah. but it can help us understand the
1: context. And that is, who is the author? Yeah, exactly. Um, great question, and a very good question to start with, like you said. And I will say, when I first began years ago diving more deeply into the letter to the Hebrews, this um, book to the Hebrews here in scripture, I, for the longest time, was full force and gung-ho on the Apostle Paul being the author of Hebrews, although there are some um, um, uh, things that are that do not align with the typical epistles, the letters that Paul would write, it's just written so um, theologically,, um, uh, I guess, above, <laughs> common language it's um so profound and the the yeah. language that it uses yeah how deep it goes and so in that sense i always believed that it really fit into the letters the epistles from paul because that's how paul's letters are written they're so in depth they're they're so rich in theology mm-hmm. and language um and so for me that was the um leading force in um, I guess pushing me to lean towards him being the author. Gotcha. Um, but ever since then, I've done a lot more research, and, and most recently, um, as I've come into some new areas of research, it's kind of, the doors kind of been open. Well, man, this this could have been written by someone else. Uh, some believe uh, Priscilla, who was a, a close friend of Paul's, as well. Hmm um and we see we read about her um in the book of acts and she's referenced in paul's letters too yeah um but then some some theologians also believe it could have been apollo so again was a great friend of paul's and and he's referenced even in his letters Mm -hmm. and his epistles um but some some uh some evidence that would point to it being apollos rather than paul um would be for example uh, Paul, when he references other scripture in mm-hmm. his letters, the epistle, so when he's referencing things that God has said in the Old Testament, which would have been the Hebrew scripture, the Hebrew Old Testament at the time, um, Paul always references the direct, original uh, Hebrew manuscripts that he, being uh, Jewish um, growing up in Israel, he would have had um uh, access to and that's what he would have been yeah. growing up learning and that's basically what he had committed to heart yeah his memory and so every single one of his letters goes directly to the hebrew source for the old so Testament. the
0: the letters that he's written other than potentially this book and i say potentially because we don't know yeah. um the other letters that he's written are books like Ephesians, Corinthians, Mm -hmm. first and second Corinthians. Um, He's uh, written first Timothy. He's writing to Timothy in first Timothy. Uh, These are all letters that he wrote to those people. Philemon. That one's also another one that he's writing. And uh, so like, those are letters that Paul wrote and that it's pretty commonly understood that he wrote. Now, Everyone, everyone can bring up some sort of evidence that it maybe was someone else for something, mm-hmm. um, but there's just overwhelming evidence for most of those letters. And the reason that we're saying, and that Aaron is saying this too, uh, he he said that previously when we were we were discussing this, I was asking him. <laughs> so who did you think? Because I've I've just kind of stayed in in the spot of I don't know um and at this point i'm okay with not knowing who the actual writer was i'm okay with just thinking maybe it was paul maybe it was apollos so those are the two that i think are most likely mm-hmm. um i don't think priscilla as much but i mean there's always that possibility but there's just not as much evidence for who it was um but there's overwhelming evidence that it was written by someone who knew the old testament mm-hmm. and knew it well Um, and so when we're talking about the other books that he's written, we're talking about those other books. So like Ephesians, think of first Corinthians, Galatians, all of those, those were written by Paul and there's pretty good evidence that it was written. Now in your, in your opinion, what
1: was it that you found about Apollos? Um, so Apollos and pause right there for a second in this letter written to, and we'll get more into the context of who it's written to, but it's called, um, As we see it in scripture, it's called the letter to the Hebrews or just the book of Hebrews or just Hebrews for short. Mm -hmm. Um, But in this letter to the Hebrews, every single reference to Old Testament scripture um, is not referencing the original Hebrew manuscript. It's actually referencing what's called the Septuagint, Mm -hmm. which at the time was a Greek translation of the hebrew old testament so it was still referencing the old testament and the scripture that hebrews would have grown up and known and had committed to heart but even just the small intricacies and details of what words were being placed where and what words were replacing which words Mm -hmm. uh uh, in these references it's be um it's because these old testament references were referencing the septuagint the greek translation yeah of the Old Testament, and Darwin just said, like he said, it's important to know, um, I, I guess, what languages would have been understood and um, who would have grown up having this understanding so in depth, such in depth of for the Old Testament, mm-hmm. um, which is very true, but this is a very interesting detail because we see here this person had such a great wealth of knowledge of the Old Testament, yeah, but it's referencing the Greek translation and the Hebrew, the letter to the Hebrews itself is written in Greek, but it's it's believed by many theologians to have been written in a more advanced style of the Greek language than even mm. Paul would have written when he wrote in the Greek language, which shows this person had the these two main uh, details attached to them. One was a deep understanding of the Old Testament, which... Which most likely, uh, again, we can't say anything for certain end or time, Mm -hmm. but most likely would have come from someone who grew up, um, grew up with these scriptures, even if it was growing up with the Greek translation, they grew up um, surrounded by this Hebrew yeah. in this Hebrew culture. Yeah. Um, and so they knew the Old Testament, but at the same time, there's such an advanced level of Greek yeah. being used.
0: Yeah, so why why would that be important? The, the reason that that would be important is, okay, if he is referencing the Greek, he is referencing a language that's within his context versus a Jewish person referencing Hebrew, that's within their context. So... That helps us as a 21st century reader Mm -hmm. who doesn't know Greek, who doesn't know Hebrew, but does know that there's a difference between the people who are speaking Greek in that Mm -hmm. one culture and the people who are speaking in Aramaic It would be probably the the one that they were speaking more than any type of older Hebrew. Mm -hmm. But they who understand that language when where there's a different language there's a different culture and so there are different things that you deal with obviously there's similarities but this helps us to understand get a further pinpoint then we can do further research to figure out okay what was this so apollos potentially being a writer this could mean that apollos i don't know much about apollos but some things that i could deduce if apollo speaks more greek than he would have spoken any other language. Maybe Apollos didn't understand Hebrew, and so he couldn't read and reference the old Hebrew. Mm -hmm. But Paul, we know, was actually writing to a lot of Jewish people, and then he was going out into the world, and he was writing to people who have become Christians, and they weren't part of the Jewish culture. And so he knew both the Jewish culture and he knew the outside culture because he was in that culture a lot as well he was a pharisee and he was a man of the world in a sense he was Mm -hmm. going out and he was one of the missionaries that went out to the world and was really proclaiming the gospel to the world if apollos wasn't a jew but he was a christian that became a christian but he was in that Greek culture, he may understand only Greek, and therefore he would only use the Septuagint because that's the closest thing he can get to the original scripture that was written. Um, And so the Septuagint is the translation, the Greek translation of the Old Hebrew, Mm -hmm. but it was very widely used. And so that's why that can be important, an important detail to help you understand the context of Hebrews. So after that, When was this written?
1: Um, And again, through a lot of research, many theologians, and I'd say arguably the majority of theologians, and that majority could be 55%, Mm -hmm. could be 60%. So I'm not saying an overwhelming majority, um, but many uh, theologians believe that it was written sometime towards the end of 63 AD uh, and or leading into the beginning of 64 AD, Uh, So just within a couple generations of Christ actually being here and walking here on Earth, some other theologians have put it a little more into the future, between 70 and 180. Um, So whether it's one or the other, we do have pretty good historical evidence um, just based on um, work done over the years and years and years of theologians and historians kind of unpacking this that, It most likely was written in the first century. So it was still pretty closely attached to the life of Jesus and the early church that was spreading shortly after his death, burial, and resurrection.
0: Yeah. Why is that important? I will – I'll share this. So – there are some heresies that have come up throughout the centuries, mm-hmm. and uh, you had heresies that came up very early on in the church. You had heresies that came up very late, and I, when I say late, I mean like in the last 200 years mm-hmm. um, and up to yesterday. I mean, you have heresies coming up all over the place. So when we are trying to understand what was the original meaning of this text, we are trying to find, and this is what... Uh, archaeologists and uh, biblical archaeologists, specifically, have tried to do very hard, and we've we've discovered so many awesome things, especially in the recent uh, yeah. past. We've discovered so many awesome things that help us to validate some of the things that our scripture says, and uh, it is so cool because we have so many manuscripts, mm-hmm. so many that are dated back to the first century and before the first century uh, for the Hebrew scriptures and then for the the New Testament. So many that are from the first century that we can really validate what these books, when they were written, who they were written by. And that's important because that helps us get to, hey, okay, so if this was in 63 to 64 AD, that's within 60 years of Jesus dying. Mm -hmm. So within 60 years, things don't really fly away very easily, especially in a culture like this, where most of the stuff is told orally, yeah. and you have to actually share the traditions in order to keep them up. Mm-hmm. And that's what they were doing. And so, if it was written in this time, it's like, hey, we don't want to lose this. So, let me write this down. You know, even at 70 to 100 AD, that's still incredible. There's a heresy called the Book of Mormon. And that book was written like, 200 300 years ago it was not written very long ago i, I don't it might not even be 200 300 yeah, years it's, it, it's probably probably even shorter i think it's in the 1800s is when that was written um which would be about 200 um but that book is not scripture the scriptures were written way before that and they were written close to when jesus was here yeah. and that's what that's what we're we're getting so that also helps us to know oh okay what was the culture like in 63 AD You can go and look on the internet and find what was Rome like in 63 AD. Mm -hmm. You learn about Rome in in elementary school, but you don't realize that Rome was a a legitimate place. It was a real place with a real economy. Corinth, for instance, 1 Corinthians, and the book of Corinthians is in a full book, and it's talking about some really... Like crummy things that the people in the church are doing. Yeah, yeah, and a lot of them sound like stuff that's happening in America. Exactly. And then you realize that Corinth is actually one of the busiest, most successfully wealthy places in the ancient world.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. And so that like puts it into a totally like different perspective, especially when you look at it from the context of an American in one of the wealthiest, most successful countries in the world. Um, (laughs) So like, that is. Something that's important about knowing those things. So let's keep moving on because we got just a yeah, little bit yeah. of time. Where are these stories in the book from? So Hebrews eleven, what we're going to go into, it talks about a lot of a lot of different things. Yeah. Where are those stories from?
1: Um, and again, they all come from the Old Testament. Um, again, we were, as we're going to read, you're going to see stories about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, um, David, a bunch of the judges. And these are all stories, again, that are referenced and located in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Um, again, the scripture that's being uh, referenced all throughout the book of Hebrews here. Um, and so we're going to dive into that a little more. But it's you have to understand that these references aren't just being pulled out of thin air. These are from, um, this is from scripture and this is from, um scripture that people the the jewish readers and people growing up in hebrew culture would have had a great depth of understanding in and they would have known instantaneously what is being referenced and the points that are being made yep and yes so that's very important
0: yeah so we wanted to share what our favorites uh stories from this particular chapter in Hebrews that we're going to read in our next episode. So you don't want to miss our next episode. We're actually going to read it and we're going to start dissecting and Mm -hmm. trying to ask these questions about the actual chapter itself. Mm -hmm. How was this understanding brought about and why? So we're answering these questions here to give us the foundation to help us understand Hebrews 11. Um, So one thing I want to mention real quick, what language was this written in? It was written primarily in advanced Greek. He was sharing that a little bit earlier mm-hmm. with you guys, that advanced Greek, that's why we think maybe it potentially could be Apollos instead of Paul, since Paul spoke both Greek and the the language that was spoken by the Jewish people at the time. Yeah. Um, and so that it makes a little more sense. I mean, like if you speak Spanish and English, but your primary language is English, then your Spanish might be a little bit choppy or the words that you use for someone else to dictate, which in the case of Paul was happened a lot. The words you chose could have been a little bit choppy, a little bit off because of the fact that you don't know the language Mm -hmm. as well as you know, another language, Mm -hmm. though you may know the language quite well. Um, So that's an important point. Um, but I really want to get into what our favorite stories are uh, from Hebrews 11. So I'll let, uh, I, well, I guess mine yeah. comes before yours. So yeah. let me, let's read mine and then we'll read yours. So this one's Hebrews eleven thirteen. They all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland If they had been thinking of the land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared for them a city. I love this story because it reminds us and we see this kind of uh, in Peter. Uh, Peter shares this with us that we are exiles in this land and that we are seeking the better city and that city is our future in glory with God. When he brings the new earth here, we're going towards that city. And that's uh, very revelation. It gives us all of those kind of pictures of what is to come. Um, But we're exiles in this land. We're citizens of another kingdom. Uh, And I love that. And I love that that remained true for those people in the Old Testament, which was before the New Testament, mind you. So it was before... (laughs) Paul, before any of them, said anything. Mm-hmm. They were seeking the heavenly city, just as we are seeking the heavenly city. Yeah.
1: So yeah, I love that. It's a great reminder, too. Yeah. And then um, a passage that I chose that I love, uh, especially here in Hebrews chapter 11, it follows that it's a very next verse uh, coming from where Darwin just ended. It's for, starting in verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, And the one who had received the promises was offering up his only son. It was he to whom it was said, through Isaac, your descendants shall be named. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. I love this because this points directly to Jesus and the faith that we're called to have in him and it's just amazing that God had given Abraham this promise that it was through Isaac his descendants would be multiplied and Abraham knew that his son Isaac was given to him by God and that it was through him this promised son that would become this great people of God this great nation these descendants and yet God asked Abraham to give up and sacrifice Isaac and Abraham had faith and believed in the promise, even though he was giving up Isaac yep. as his son, even though he had been asked to give up Isaac, he still trusted in the promise that God had given him that through Isaac, his descendants would be named. Yep. And so it's just a beautiful picture of the faith of Abraham's faith, knowing that God would still fulfill his promise, even through the death of, of the one and only son, yeah. uh, the one and only son of the promise, yep. Isaac, and so it points straight to the resurrection of Christ yeah. and the faith we're called to have in him. And yeah. we'll get into that more, but I think it's so beautiful.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I love that story too. I mean, like just the the like imagery of that is directly what the Lord did. I mean, mm-hmm. God the Father gave up his only son. Mm-hmm that whoever believes in him will never die and have eternal life. John 3, 16, just for, that was a bonus (laughs) one for you guys. But um, he gave up his only son and it was by faith that Abraham received him back. Mm -hmm. And so he believed in the promise that God told him. So when God said to do something, and then God also said to do something that seemingly went against what it is, He had faith in what God was saying and what happened. Isaac was received back in faith Mm -hmm. and the promise was fulfilled in part, as we're going to see throughout Hebrews 11. It tells us a little bit more detail into, hey, the promise wasn't just that Abraham would have kids Mm -hmm. and that they would continue to have kids. The promise was something else. So we'll get into that in the next episode. Mm -hmm. Uh, Thank you for watching. Aaron, thanks for joining me again. And we're excited to do our next episode. So we'll see you on the next one.